So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations. And this, the 26th of December, it's the Feast of the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. My name is John Keeley, and help me to produce and present another episode of Come and See Inspirations, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thanks a lot for joining me this morning, Shane. Hopefully you had a good Christmas and... Um, Done all the little job ins you had to do yesterday. Yeah, well, it's 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 a it's a busy it's a busy uh, it's a busy day for the commie chef assisting the main cook in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it's a busy day doing the washing up as well. But look, it's all part of it, and we enjoyed it, and it's great to have family around it. It's beautiful, and hopefully, our listeners enjoyed the same experience in their own homes, whatever that might be in the world. Thanks again for joining us again today. Uh, of course, we want to welcome those listeners who are housebound and lonely and struggling in some way today. And our listeners who support us each week in prayer. Thank you so much indeed for that. And keep those prayers up because Shane and Shane would join in agreeing with me. We need them. So our program today will include, um, obviously, we'll be reading and reflecting on the Word of God towards the end of the program. But in the middle part of the program, um, we're going to continue on uh, sharing some of the reflections from our guests that joined us. We, we played um, five of them yesterday, Christmas Day, and there's another five coming up today. And as I said, we'll, we'll be uh, sharing the gospel uh, for today. You can contact us, and please do, on 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667 in Ireland. Outside of Ireland, 003538760886867. And also, you can also email us on commonseeinspirations at gmail.com. So now we'll hand over to Shane to find out, I think you used a celestial guide you're going to share with us today, Shane, please. Thanks, John. So um, today, obviously, is the 26th of December. So usually on the Irish calendar, today would be the feast day of St. Stephen, the first martyr of the church. One of the first martyrs of the church, I should say, after the after Jesus's public ministry. However, uh, because today is the first is the Sunday within the octave of Christmas, um, it's the feast day of the Holy Family, and which takes precedence from a liturgical point of view. Now, people have heard me mention the octave before. What is the octave? The octave is the eight days after Christmas when the church. Um, I suppose the easiest way to describe it is we stop time liturgically, and the whole point behind it is to emphasize the specialness of the the Christmas season, the Christmas tide, Christmas event. Um, Christmas is not just one day. It's not just the 25th of December. Um, and so liturgically, it's celebrated and strung out for the eight days. And what that means from a practical point of view is if you're going to Mass, or you're attending the Liturgy of the Hours, the prayers are repeated. So it's almost like they've stopped time to emphasize the specialness of the day. So that's the octave that we have coming up. Um, but we also can celebrate and mem- memorialize some of the saints during the week. Um, now, it's they don't get as much of a mention as they normally would if if it was a it was a, it was outside the octave. But uh, upcoming, we have on Monday the twenty seventh is the feast day of Saint John the Evangelist, the Apostle and the Evangelist. So John was the brother. Saint John was the brother of James, the son of Zebedee. And he was all, originally he was a, a, a disciple of John the Baptist, and then became a disciple of Jesus. He's the youngest of the apostles. And he is the only apostle who didn't suffer uh, direct martyrdom. 
Uh, he died at Ephesus. Ephesus and Jerusalem is where tradition very much associates him with. Also, to a certain extent, the island of Patmos. Uh, the, by tradition, he is the author of the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, and and the letters, the three letters in the New Testament attributed to him, and also the book of Revelation or the book of the Apocalypse. <clears throat> um, and it's interesting thing about it is the primary thing, the primary message that comes from John is very much the love one another. Um, it is the principal thing, and it, tradition has that even on as he was an old man and preaching to the in preaching to the the crowds, his simple message was summed up as love one another. So that's Saint John. The twenty eighth is the feast day of the Holy Innocents. So the Holy Innocents were those children that were, according in the Gospel of Saint Matthew, those children that were killed on the order of Herod after the Magi had returned to the East and hadn't given him the information that he sought. And it's generally seen as fulfillment of the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, sobbing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, and she would not be consoled since they were no more. So it's from the second chapter of Matthew. Um, it's generally, they're, they're, they're regarded as martyrs, they're the holy innocents. They are seen as those who shed their blood for Christ, even though it is the Christ child. And it is often a day given over for remem- remembering um, children, particularly who would have died, uh, say, from stillbirths, miscarriages, and also those that died through abortion as well. <clears throat> the 29th of December is Wednesday. It's the feast day of St. Thomas Becket, the great saint of Canterbury. That was martyred for the faith and the orders of King Henry II in 1170 after seeking to defend and uphold the independence and traditions of the church from political interference. Uh, Thomas is an interesting one. He started out, he was actually quite a good friend of Henry II. And uh, it was through Henry's good efforts that he was actually appointed Archbishop of Canterbury. And he wasn't even a priest when he was when he was appointed Archbishop. He was, a, he was merely a deacon. Um, he had uh, he was educated in civil and canon law, and he was the archdeacon of the diocese of Canterbury before being elevated to the see. Um, interesting thing: uh, last year uh, was the 850th anniversary of his martyrdom, and it was an interesting one. He was canonized saint within three years of his martyrdom. It was a very quick canonization process at the time because he was a friend of the Pope, actually, which probably helped the situation. Um, but as well as that, then he's was a huge. There was a huge cult. There was a huge devotion to him in England right up to the Reformation, of which, of course, we get the famous book by Chaucer, the Canterbury Tales, which tells the account of various pilgrims on their way to the shrine of the saint at Canterbury. The shrine was destroyed during the Reformation. Um, uh, Obviously enough, Henry VIII wasn't going to have a shrine around to a priest that defied the king. Um, so that it was destroyed at that stage. However, they, Canterbury had a huge or had a large exhibition last year on the 850th anniversary where they brought together all sorts of items associated with the devotion to the saint and even some early relics, including what was said to have been, I wasn't sure if it was the shirt or the robe that Thomas Beckett was wearing when he was martyred. And that was actually kept in Hungary of all places. So that's where it came back from for that 850th anniversary. So that's Thomas Beckett, who we celebrate on the 29th of uh, December. On the 30th of December, I went a slightly far afield, John. So I've looked for uh, Egwin of 
Worcester, I think is how you pronounce it, is how you pronounced it. So this guy, he's um, he's an early saint of the church, seventh century English saint of English nobility, consecrated to God in his youth, was a bishop, Benedictine monk, and the bishop of Worcester. Um, when he was appointed, his diocese was in a bit of a shambles, and he set about to reform it. Um, but he kind of things kind of got out of hand, and he was said to have been too severe with his priests. So to answer the charges and to give everyone a chance to cool off. Um, and to show his repentance for any of the harm done, he set off on a penitential pilgrimage to Rome. And legend says that before he left, he locked up his feet in shackles and threw the key in the river. And when he got to Rome, as he was in the market, they opened a fish and lo and behold, there was the keys waiting for him. So I was like, okay, interesting. But anyway, so I, just, I just find these kind of uh, Anglo-Saxon kind of uh, saint stories, There's, they can be interesting at times. Uh, so that's that's Egwin of Worcester that we celebrate on the 30th of December. And finally, then on the 31st of December, the last day of the year, we celebrate the feast of St. Sylvester, Pope, um, who died in 335 and after being Pope for 21 years. Now, the interesting thing about Sylvester is that he was the Pope. He was the first Pope after the Edict of Milan was issued by or he was the Pope after the Edict of Milan was issued by the Emperor Constantine, which basically granted religious tolerance in the Roman Empire. So he, Sylvester was able to start the construction of numerous public churches in the city of Rome. And finally, on Saturday, the 1st of January, next, next Saturday, it's the Solemnity of Mary, the Holy Mother of God. It's also the World Day of Peace, prayer for the World Day of Peace. And of course, it, it is honouring Mary in her most ancient title, the title of Theotokos, Mother of God, um, <clears throat> Mother of God and the God Bearer, a title she has borne since the beginning. But the reminder to us that uh, she's acknowledged and honoured as being truly the Mother of God and Mother of the Redeemer, as set out in Lumen Gentium, paragraph 52. So, John, that's what we have in terms of our celestial guides and odds and ends for the coming few days. For those that are praying the Psalter, uh, obviously, for the octave, the Psalter is proper. So it is generally Sunday of week one. And then for next Saturday, uh, it starts, uh, or sorry, next Sunday, it starts on week two for the second Sunday of Christmas. Okay, we'll go for a spiritual communion prayer. The reason why we picked this again today is because we know, obviously, there's some people who love to go to Mass this morning, receive Jesus in Holy Communion, but are afraid to, or, or, or maybe can't, or whatever the case might be. So... This is the spiritual communion prayer that we pray in that particular case. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as being already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Now shall we go for our first bit of music? Yeah, um, so it's it's Handel's Messiah. It's a piece from Handel's Messiah and it's been sung by the Mormon Tab- Tabernacle Choir. And it is <clears throat> taken from uh, the the readings, one of the readings that we hear over Christmas, uh, which is from the, I think it's from the prophet Isaiah. And it's that great piece of music, Unto Us a Child is Born. Beautiful. Thanks for that, Shane. Let's enjoy this. Oh. 
So Shane, thanks a lot for choosing that piece of music for us. Beautiful. Thank you very much indeed. Now, as promised, um, we're going to play the rest of the um, Christmas reflections that we recorded earlier during the week with some of our guests. The first one up, um, Shane, a good friend of the programme, a good friend of yourself, uh, Father Luke, Father Luke McNamara. Yes, so the first one we have up is Father Luke. So Father Luke obviously is um, he's a monk of Glenstall, is also a lecturer at Minute University, or, uh, University. So Father Luke is giving us a lovely reflection today on the crib and a couple of thoughts and reflections around it and uh, is the first of our uh, Away in the Mangers is, is the piece of music that he chose at the end of the at the end of the reflection. And so to our listeners out there this morning and also to those that listen in Glenstall and to all the community with, with Abbot Brendan, we wish them a Merry Christmas as well and thank them for their help and support on the programme in the last 12 months. My name is Father Luke McNamara. I'm a monk of Glenstall Abbey and a lecturer in Sacred Scripture at St. Patrick's Pontifical University, Maynooth. I'm going to talk this evening about the origins of the crib. The origins are something of a mystery. If we think about it, the first writings in the New Testament, the letters of Paul, barely reference the incarnation, Christ taking flesh. And very little attention is given to the infancy or the early years, none at all, in fact. And when we look at the Gospel of Mark, there is no infancy narrative either. And we have to wait some 40 years later or 30 to 40 years later for the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, who will attend to the infancy uh, part of Jesus's life. And it reflects a growing interest in the life of Jesus, the full life of Jesus, not simply his passion, death and resurrection, which is which gives brings us salvation, but indeed the whole of the life of Jesus and indeed his origins. So this tendency to look at the origins of Jesus deepened even further in the subsequent centuries. And we have a number of apocryphal gospels which give even more detail about the origins, not only of Jesus, but also of his mother Mary. And the most famous would be the Gospel of James, which has a, a very long and significant uh, account of the life of Mary and the early years of Jesus. Why is this important? It is important even in Ireland, but also throughout Europe, because this apocryphal gospel was very popular and the scenes from this gospel were depicted uh, in the on the on the carvings and engravings on the high crosses in the marketplace but also in the frescoes are the mosaics of churches so people were familiar with these stories through the visual depictions of them in their churches or on their market square crosses and this was the case also in Ireland. In fact, it appears that the apocryphal Gospels were even more popular in Ireland than they were on the continent. So the early uh, Christians in Ireland very much liked to meditate on the early years of Jesus and indeed on the life of Mary. And that is something perhaps that has stayed with us because I don't think there are many countries for which Christmas is so valued um, as, as here in Ireland. So um, if, if we look, though, in Ireland, of course, we don't see very much of this art. A lot of it has, was removed at the time of the Reformation. 
but there have been some um, rediscoveries, um, by, uh, notably by a man called Peter Harbison, who was a former student of our school, who did a great study on the Irish High Crosses and, and showed all the work that has been, showed all these scenes from the apocryphal gospels. That's just an aside. But if we look at a, at a crib, um, we might ask, um, wh where did it first emerge from? And in actual fact, it emerged with St. Francis of Assisi in 1223. And there are two uh, theories as to uh, the inspiration for the crib. And the first is that in Italy, they used to have pr processions, devotional processions through the towns. And they would have kind of floats with people carrying uh, scenes from the, from, the, from the Gospels. And they would have scenes of the Nativity, the various scenes, the Annunciation, the birth of our Lord, the visit of the Magi and so on. And these would be carried on floats. And, and there would be people, you know, cheering along the sides. These were the great parades of, of the day and they were very, very popular. And that's one theory, but why particularly Francis and why particularly in 1223? Now, Francis had gone to the Holy Land in 1219, 1220 to visit some of the new Franciscan houses that had been founded there. And during his time there, he made a very celebrated visit to the Sultan at a time of war during the Fifth Crusade, and he came in peace. And he was very well received, and it was a very great high point. And in, in addition to uh, visiting the Sultan, he also went to Bethlehem. And he would have visited there at the time of Christmas, and he would have witnessed the nativity celebrations in the Basilica in Bethlehem. And so he would have seen firsthand the processions, the visit to the grotto out in the fields and so on. So he would have, he would have seen all those celebrations enacted with real people. And so when he came back to Italy, simply within just four years, he was in the town of Greccio and he asked um, a man, Giordano, to climb up the, the mountain and prepare uh, a, in, the, in the cave, in a cave up there, a, a living crib. So they brought up um, the ox and the donkey. They brought up the, the sheep and many people came up and there was an infant as well in the, in the, in the, in the crib. So... They came up and they had, during um, the, the Mass, the Midnight Mass, they had a reenactment of the story of the Nativity with real people, living people. And that was the first crib. It was a living crib with living people. And all the townspeople came, climbed up the mountain. And it was said that during the Mass, uh, St. Francis, who was acting as deacon at the Mass, uh, woke the child up and took him in his arms um, at the... For the, for the Eucharist. And of course, that's very significant because um, the crib is a manger. It's, it's something that animals eat from and Christ becomes food, food for us. And so it was quite significant that Christ, the Christ child is brought to the, to the table of the altar at that moment on that first Christmas of, with a crib, a living crib. So what Francis began became immensely popular and it became immensely popular um, almost instantly. It was an instant success. It went viral, as one would say today. It was extraordinary. It just 
was spread not only through the Franciscan network, but the Dominican network, and also the monasteries. So um, it became very, very popular. Now, it, we are re regarded as rather more staid, the monks, um, but in actual fact, we also had um, plays uh, in our liturgies in the church in the Middle Ages, um, but these were in-house within the church. And what there was in at the same time, there were these devotional processions outside, which would have been more um, the, the, the mendicant style. So, um, it, it, but at, that, at the same time, the cribs were welcomed by everyone and very, very quickly. So to return to Ireland, um, it is interesting to note that there's uh, something, um, something peculiar or, or interesting in, in our history. There are limited records, but of the records we have, we have records going back to the 15th century, 1498, where there's a decree um, on the regulation of the pageant of Corpus Christi. And there would be a procession with floats, and they would have scenes, like they had in Italy, um, of the various um, uh, scenes of the Nativity, so the Annunciation and so on, and indeed scenes from the life of Christ. The whole of salvation, the whole of the history of salvation was depicted on the Corpus Christi day. It's very interesting um, because certain groups of people were delegated to carry certain floats. They were divided according to their professions, and the professions were arranged in guilds. So we have the skinners, the house carpenters, the tanners, and the embroiderers, who would carry a body of the camel, Our Lady and her child, well apparelled, and Joseph leading the camel, and Moses and the children of Israel would be the porters to bear the camel underneath. Then we would have the goldsmith guild and they would represent, the th they would carry the float with the three kings and who would be riding worshipfully, worshipfully with their offerings and a star would be held before them. And the coopers, that is the people that would make caskets or barrels, they uh, would carry the float with the shepherds, with an angel preceding them, singing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Now, don't be worried if your profession hasn't been um, mentioned yet. All the professions of the Middle Ages had a role in carrying uh, a float. They were, there, there's a huge long list. So everybody had their part to play in demonstrating the full history of salvation. And it's really beautiful the, that all the, you know, the lowly occupations to the more high occupations were, were, were all represented um, in and all had a part to play. And in fact, some of the more important uh, scenes in salvation history were represented by the more lowly um, uh, groups and guilds. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful vision of medieval society and how, how there was a place for everybody. Now, this procession, the details for this procession reflect what happened in Dublin. But we do know that there were other processions in Waterford, Kilkenny and Clonmel. And it is likely that they were in other towns in Ireland. But unfortunately, uh, we don't have that information. But for people in Limerick, I would venture to say that almost certainly Kilmallock would have had one. 
because of the prominence of that town at that time. So it would be very unlikely for Kilmalik not to have had such procession with floats and, and scenes of, 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 the, of the history of salvation running through the town. Of course, it's just conjecture on my part, but I say that because of the prominence of, of, of the town at the time, the size of the town, it was walled, and also the number of religious houses in the town. So it would have been very likely that there would have been such a procession and, and, and possibly in other towns as well in Limerick, but per, most, most probably Limerick City, obviously, and also Kilmallock. So that's, uh, that's, as, that's more the historical side. So if we're looking to today, we might think um, of how we um, celebrate the crib. Um, by having the crib in our, in our homes, we, have, we don't have living cribs, but we have the actual, the, the figures in, of the crib in, in our homes. And that is a very wonderful custom. But there are also the nativity plays um, that are held often in schools, perhaps not this year, but in most years. And they are very popular as well. And we've had a hint as well of the, these kind of public plays in the, you may recall over in Palace Green and Nicker, we had the Passion Play there about five or six years ago now. So um, there is a scope for uh, having such um, public uh, uh, demonstrations perhaps again in the future. But um, they, were, they were very, very popular in Ireland. Um, and then the, the, remain, the, the other thing I would like to say um, is just some people have questions about the crib and the accuracy of it. I mean, why do we have, why does it not match the Gospels? Well, in fact, it does. It, it, it matches in, 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 a, in a real way, in a deeper way in that they say, where does the ox and the donkey come from? And they, they actually come from Isaiah, but Isaiah is, un, is understood to un, in both Matthew and Luke as the background um, text to which both gospels refer regularly. And that gospel begins with a quote, um, the ox and donkey know their master's crib, but my people Israel, fail to recognize my coming. So it's a real call, a wake-up call. The ox and donkey who are at either side of the infant Jesus, they're they are keeping him warm with their breath, but also honoring him. And they are the ones, the first ones to, to hear and heed the message um, of our salvation. And indeed, Christ is also food for them in this ecological era. He is the one in their feeding trough. Um, and then we have um, Mary and Joseph mentioned in both Gospels. We have the shepherds from the Gospel of Luke and the angels. And we have the star and the magi from Matthew. So it's a collage and the, the crib draws together various strands from the scriptures, Old and New Testament, and really um, speaks to us of Christ coming to save not only um, the generation, his own generation, but every generation that preceded him and every generation that will follow. So I would like to uh, thank your listeners for their attention. The hymn that we will be hearing is Away in a Major. Away in a manger, no crib for 
Again, we thank Father Luke for for sharing uh, for for sharing that reflection with us. He's always got time for the program. We appreciate that. Next up, we have uh, again somebody who's joined us a few times on the pro, on the podcast during the week during the year. Uh, Sister Katrina Kavanagh. She's from the Dominican Sisters of Saint Cecilia in Limerick, and she shares with us how throughout the Christmas story we can be struck by the hiddenness of the mystery. If we're not attentive, we can almost miss the significance of this at Christmas. So Katrina, uh, so uh, Sister Katrina asked that this Christmas we pray for the grace of not being too busy or preoccupied to see by faith the hiddenness of this mystery, that we may discover anew the presence of God in the humble place of our humanity. So let's listen to Sister Sister Katrina. I'd like to share a poem, and this was a poem that I grew up with in school, and it's called The Present. The poor little boy was as sad as could be. He had no present for under the tree. Oh, my mommy and daddy work so hard for me. I have nothing to give them to thank them, you see. But later, alone, on his small little bed, he took bright-colored paper and long bits of thread, And he tied up a parcel with nothing inside, and he crept down the stairs when the parcel was tied. When he woke the next day, he went down to the tree. He saw Mammy and Daddy as glad as could be, 
We got perfume, a tie, and a clock for the shelf. But your present is special. You made it yourself. And your bright little parcel, all tied up and small, was filled up with love, the best present of all. Throughout the Christmas story, then, we can be struck by the hiddenness of the mystery that the angel would have announced to Mary that she would be mother of God in a place called Nazareth. And we would hear later in the scriptures, can anything good come from Nazareth? Again, the obscurity of the birthplace of the savior of the world in Bethlehem on a night when others were distracted with registering for the census and celebrating in taverns and inns, all full to the brim. And then shortly after his birth, Jesus and his family would escape to Egypt, again hidden from public view. So in fact, I suppose if we're not attentive, we can almost miss this real significance of Christmas, that love is coming, that God who loves us so much would send his only son into the world as one of us, as a human being, to reveal to us his greatness and his mercy. At the same time, he reveals the dignity that is ours as children so loved by our Father in heaven that he sent the Son to teach us, to heal us, and to restore us to our Father's house. God didn't just come to dwell among us in Bethlehem centuries ago. St. Catherine of Siena shares the words that God the Father spoke to her. And she writes, you see in this gentle, loving word, born in a stable, while Mary was on a journey, to show us pilgrims how we should be constantly born anew in the stable of self-knowledge, whereby grace you will find me born in your soul. God dwells within us by grace today. We can receive this grace in the reception of the sacraments. Each sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality. In the Eucharist, we believe by faith, and only by that gift of faith can we believe that Christ is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity. This is not something that we can know by our senses. And St. Thomas Aquinas beautifully reflects on this in his Eucharistic hymn, Godhead here in hiding, whom I do adore, masked by these bare shadows, shape and nothing more. 
It is only then by the gift of faith that the hiddenness of Christ and the promise of the kingdom of heaven is revealed. What was it like to look upon the face of the little child and to know that one was seeing the face of God? Mary and Joseph would have had such intimate contact with Jesus that they would have needed great faith to see the divine in him. The shepherds, too, called in the hiddenness and darkness of the night to follow the message that the angel proclaimed, to go to see a small baby born to a humble couple. As we are told, for today in the city of David, a savior has been born for you, who is Messiah and Lord. So this Christmas, perhaps we can ask for the grace to let us not be too busy or too preoccupied to see by faith the hiddenness of this mystery. That we may discover in you the presence of God, even in the humble dwelling place of our humanity. And we can join with St. Thomas in saying, See, Lord, at thy service, lo, lies here a heart, lost, all lost in wonder, at the God thou art. And finally, I'd like to share a piece of music uh, that uh, is recorded by our sisters, the Dominican Sisters of St. Cecilia in Nashville in Tennessee. Um, and this piece is called, I Believe in You, Lord. And it again reflects on this idea of the gift of faith that we receive in our baptism. Um, and asking for that grace, I believe in you, Lord, help my unbelief. Um, so recognizing in our humanity, our weakness, um, and relying on God uh, for all things, for we know that nothing is impossible with him. So thank you very much and wishing you a blessed Christmas season. from you, from 
So next up, we have uh, we have a visit from our friend, Father Frank Duhigg, PP in Newcastle West. So technically, um, the home base of Come and See Inspirations is within the um, the unit, the pastoral unit where Father Frank is the moderator. So we're always delighted to have him on. He's also a great friend to the programme, to myself and John. And of course, as he gets a, as as we said, he's also our um, Lexio Divina guide when it comes to trying to do our scripture reflections. Uh, so Father Frank joins us this year to give us his reflection on his Christmas reflection and uh, now just to give people a heads up his his choice of music is a little um, different I, I have to say when John told me what piece Father Frank had picked I was kind of going excuse me so yeah. it's it's a nice it's 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 a it's a traditional it's a it's a modern traditional Christmas song um, but it wasn't what I was expecting Father Frank to pick <laughs> you know, we'll let the listeners judge yeah yeah, yeah. enjoy it yeah enjoy yeah. it a Christmas Reflection. I've called it, John, our second COVID Christmas. It is over 2,000 years now since Jesus, the child God, nestled comfortably in the womb of Mary, was to have his first experience of the inhospitality of this world when he discovered there was no room for them at the inn. Little children, while fascinated with the crib and its story, would have been appalled at the fact that nobody took in Mary and gave her a room as her baby Jesus was about to be born. The lack of room for Jesus in the world took a radical turn soon after his birth, when his parents had to flee with him to a neighbouring country to protect his life. And of course, we're all utterly appalled at what happened to him on Calvary. But thank God, he overcame death and his message has spread across the world ever since. And we look forward every year to recalling his birth and his coming into our lives. But we must not take him for granted. And we are invited each year during Advent, as we build up to Christmas, to ask ourselves, is there room for Jesus in the inn of my life? We are heading into our second COVID Christmas and COVID has provided us with favourable circumstances to address that question in that it has required us to trim our lives down to the bare essentials. In a way, COVID has cast us into something of a wilderness. Spiritual writers frequently speak of the importance of having a wilderness experience a desert experience on our faith journey. In one of the recent Advent Gospels, we were told that the Word of God came to John the Baptist in the wilderness. And didn't Jesus start his public ministry in the desert? Indeed, God seems to favour the desert as his chosen place for speaking to us, his people, and hearing our response. The desert is the place where life is reduced to the essentials and hasn't COVID given us an ideal opportunity to identify what the essentials of life are. Wouldn't it be a pity if we were to waste this strange time we are living through, pining for the non-essentials that take over, to take over our lives again? This is the second Christmas when we are given the opportunity to identify what Christ might regard as the essentials. Let us not forget 
that Christmas is about Christ. It is all about Christ, or should be. Is it possible that the task that COVID has put before us is to put Christ back into Christmas? Wouldn't it be a pity if there was still no room for him after that sad experience he had in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago? Let us make sure there is room for him in our lives this Christmas. Now, you asked me, John, to have a little bit of music. And, uh, you know, maybe a strange choice, but uh, in the light of how COVID is affecting the rest of the world, the poor world and the third world and all, you know, I just wondered, uh, Band-Aid, you remember some years ago, Bob Geldof and the rest, do they know it's Christmas time at all?
So thanks again to Father Frank for taking time to go out and share that um, that lovely uh, that, that lovely reflection with us this morning, and of course that piece of music. Um, thanks, Father Frank. Next, we have joining us um, again a good friend of the program, Geraldine Creighton, a member of the Emmanuel community, and Geraldine quotes John the Baptist, who asks us to be content. Geraldine suggests that we be content with what we have and what we don't have. To be content with spending another COVID, uh, COVID Christmas. Jesus will be present with us no matter what our circumstances are. So let us come to adore him with our presence in the crib this season of Christmas. So let's listen to Geraldine. And Geraldine actually plays the second uh, Away in the Manger hymn that we're playing today. Uh, this one is by an American version sung by Phil Wickham. So let's hear Geraldine. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Geraldine Creighton. I am a member of the Emmanuel community in Ireland, and I work as a pharmacist in St. John's Hospital in Limerick. So throughout the pandemic, when they are on the front line with my colleagues, nurses and doctors and all healthcare workers, um, yeah, through the pandemic, thinking of uh, all the world, all we're, all we're facing and um, keeping, I suppose, keeping close to the Lord and close to people to help um, bring healing and uh, to accompany uh, everybody through through the pandemic as much as, as we can uh, through our work. So I do thank people for the prayers for healthcare workers. We need it. We need it even more now because we are all quite tired. But thank you and please pray for us as we are praying for you. I'm a member of the, uh, as I said, the Emmanuel community in Ireland, which is part of a global uh, international community, Catholic community in over uh, 60 countries around the world. And in fact, next year we celebrate 50 years of our existence. And of course, the word Emmanuel, uh, God with us. And in Hebrew, as I like to think about it, it says, with is us, with us is God. With us is God. So if God is with us, who can be against us? He has given us so much. He's loved us so much. And he walks with us in every moment. So he's walking with us, not only the community, but of course, every single person. God is with us. And the possibility for us is that we can allow him to be with us. When I was thinking about Christmas and reflecting on what it means this year and this year still in, in pandemic, I was thinking a lot about um, John the Baptist. And we've been listening and we've been traveling through Advent, of course, with Mary, John the Baptist, Elizabeth, uh, St. Joseph. But John the Baptist was there in a particular way at the start of the Advent journey, saying, prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way. And in Luke's Gospel, uh, St. Luke uh, chapter 3, um, he's saying this, you know, the time of John proclaimed baptism for repentance so people would obtain forgiveness. And it says, um, prepare the way, make his path straight. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And it talks about in that piece afterwards that um, people ask John the Baptist, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? And he gave different answers to different people. Some people he said, and people asked him firstly, he said, you know, what do we do? He said, if you have two coats, give one away. And then he said to the tax collectors, you know, what must I do? And he said, you know, collect, you know, do your job, but don't extort. So do your job. 
don't extort. And then the soldiers, and I was really surprised at this one, actually, that the Roman soldiers, who was the enemy, really, and non-Jews, Gentiles, listening to John the Baptist, and they also said, what about us? They were really struck by his message. So the people near and the people far away in a certain sense. Um, and he said to them, don't take anything by force. Don't threaten people by denouncing them falsely. And then he said something like, be content with your pay. And this was something that this last line, be content with your pay, really stuck with me. Because, you know, we spent a lot of our time trying to get more and more and more. And of course, that sometimes is good. For example, a better education, a better um, money in order to provide for our families, in order to uh, improve ourselves, we get a better education. Um, we try to improve our diet by getting um, better food, better quality food where we can afford it. Or um, so, it sometimes it's, it's good to look to you know to want more. But John is advising: if we want to prepare the way for the Lord, we we we're called to be content be content with what we have. And I think really this was probably the real, real secret of um, Bethlehem. The real secret of Mary and Joseph arriving in there with um, no room at the inn. And there they were, led to where the animals would sleep. And it was there in the hay that Jesus was, was born. Be content. Be content with what you have. Be content. And in reflecting on all of this, I, I was drawn really to John Paul, to St. John Paul II. Um, I had the privilege of meeting him in 1998, and it was a beautiful moment, two moments actually, in, in 98. Um, it was, oh, sorry, it was 1999, sorry. Two moments in 99. And um, the first I, I received communion from him, Holy Communion at St. Peter's. And as I received the host, Jesus, in, in the Blessed Sacrament, all I saw was Pope, the Pope looking intently at the host as he gave the host to me. And in his all of his actions was this action of adoration. And of course, when we think of adoration, we think of uh, the adoration of the Magi at, uh, at Bethlehem, the adoration of the, the, the shepherds at Bethlehem, and of course, the adoration of Joseph and Mary, the wonder. The wonder, the wonder. And there's a beautiful poem from, from uh, John Paul. I have a book called uh, The Place Within, which is the poetry of um, Pope John Paul II. I actually got it in, in America, and I haven't really seen it in Ireland at all, but I do recommend, if you can get a chance, to, to read some of his poems, The Place Within, and they're translated um, from, from Polish. And it takes poetry written from his life, from the start of his life as a young man, and we know he had a lot of struggles he would, with the seminaries being closed and everything by the, the Nazis and his having to work in a mine, even though he was a seminarian. And he had all of that journey of a struggle of life, losing his, his mother, losing his father, um, brother, then he's all alone. But in, it, it just captures a lot of his thoughts and feelings. But this, I'm going to just share a couple of little bits from not, not all the poems, but bits of the poems, just that we would ref continue reflection just on... on on the, the crib scene at Christmas. So this is taken from uh, part seven of Song of the Inexhaustible Sun. If 
at its greatest, love is simple and desire most simple in yearning. Then no wonder God desired acceptance from simple men, their souls made of white, but no words for their love. Then when he gave us love wrapped in its simple charms, in poverty, poverty and hay, the mother took the baby and rocked him in her arms, and in a jerkin tenderly she tucked his little feet. O oh, miracle, wonder of wonders, that I with my humanity should shield God while his love shields me with his martyrdom. And here in this beautiful poem, it describes the simplicity of heart that God wants from us. Be content. Be content with what you have. Be simple. And he talks about, you know, the, the, the adoration that, that, that Jesus received from people of, whose souls were, he, says, he describes as their souls made of white. In other words, this, this purity of spirit, this simplicity of heart, um, and that they didn't need words to adore God, their very presence. And sometimes when we look at the crib, you know, sometimes it's, it's, our, it's our looking, actually, is the adoration, not our words. And it's like looking at a little newborn baby. You know, you just, people just say, oh, I adore, I adore this new child born into the world and into our family. And, and because there's no words for adoration, just the looking, and the looking is, is loving. And he says, oh, miracle, wonder of wonders. And in another poem, he talks a lot, a little bit more about the hay. And I was again very struck by by this. And this is again part of a, a, another poem uh, of his. And it's just a tiny little section called The Shores of Silence. And in this poem, he said, this is beautiful now. I adore you, fragrant hay, because in you no pride ripens as in ears of corn. I adore you, fragrant hay, because you cuddled a barefoot baby manger-born. So in the simplicity of the things we have, just as they are, content with what we are, where we live, who's in our family, who's even present with us during this COVID, another COVID Christmas, who can visit us, who is allowed in, how many people can have our home, be content. Be content because we will be visited by the barefoot baby manger born, the most important one is coming. He will come in those who come. He will be present in those who visit. He will be present in those who phone us or make contact over the internet on, uh, on, on internet calls and videos. He will be present, the barefoot baby. The baby who was happy to be barefoot with very, very little. And third poem then um, from John Paul talks about Mary and again it's beautiful it's called her amazement at her only child and you can imagine then Mary looking adoring looking at uh, Jesus and I'll just read a little bit of this in that little town my son where they knew us together, you called me mother. But no one had eyes to see the astounding events 
as they took place day by day. Your life became the life of the poor. In your wish to be with them through the work of your hands, I knew. The light that lingered in ordinary things, like a spark sheltered under the skin of our days, that light was you. It did not come from me. And I had more of you in that luminous silence than I had of you as the fruit of my body, my blood. But here John Paul is recalling, this was the, emo the emotions of Mary looking at her son. At this stage, he's older now, he's working away, you know, the work of his hands as, as a carpenter. But he wanted to live, he wanted to live among the poor. And who, who, who are the ones who are poor? I am poor. When am I poor? I'm poor maybe when I'm content with, with what I have. I'm poor when I realize, actually, you know what? I'm not so great. I'm a struggle. I sin. I don't do the right things all the time. But Jesus comes right into that poverty. This is where he, he prefers to be. This is his favorite place, is to be with the poor. The ones who know their need of change, their need of something new, and know that in themselves they cannot provide it. The last thought then is uh, a poem, another poem, by Oscar Roma Romero, Bishop of San Salvador, who was martyred. And this again captures a little bit about what we're called to live, I believe. No one can celebrate a genuine Christmas without being truly poor. The self-sufficient, the proud, those who, because they have everything, look down on others. Those who have no need even of God, for them there will be no Christmas. Only the poor, the hungry, those who need someone to come on their behalf will have that someone. That someone is God, Emmanuel, God with us. Without poverty or spirit, there can be no abundance of God. So I'm going to finish with a prayer for you, for me, for our families, for the place where we live, for our neighbours, for our community, for our countries, for our world, that we will become poorer in the sense of realising that we are not all self-sufficient, we cannot provide everything for ourselves, that we need we need God to come. We need God to come or to send us someone who comes in the name of God, who brings what we are lacking, brings that part, uh, that newness, that uh, direction, that hope, forgiveness, that life that we need, that tastes of the abundance of God that overflows and overflows and never stops giving. So Lord, Jesus, little one in the crib, barefooted baby, tucked away in the manger, hear our prayer, accept our love, deepen our love for you, deepen our love for our families, and help us bring your love and light and warmth to all those around us this Christmas. 
Amen. Final sharing is a, a, a song, a hymn, Away in the Manger. It's the American version of it, just to keep our thoughts and hearts and minds on Jesus. It's uh, sung by Phil um, Phil Wickham, and it's called Away in a Manger Forever. Amen. Have a very happy, blessed, joyful, family-filled, content Christmas. So that was Geraldine Creighton. As John said, she's a member of the Emmanuel community. So always lovely reflections uh, from Geraldine. And next up, we have Noreen Lynch. Now, Noreen 
Uh, Noreen came in, she gave us a couple of reflections around the same time. So uh, she was great to help us out. So Noreen's reflection and it's, uh, as always, it's it's a thought-provoking one. I, I have to say with Noreen, um, anytime Noreen's on the programme, I don't do much talking. I just listen. No. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, she, it's, she's, 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 she really provokes and in terms of gets you thinking about things. And it's always a pleasure to have her on. So just this is our, our, our Christmas reflection from Noreen this year. So on Christmas, as we celebrate this special and precious time, it's important to be aware too that not everybody has the opportunities we have. We may not be able to gather, but we might know that those people want, around us want to gather with us. We may not be able to feast, but we know we're postponing rather than never having these opportunities. So gratitude and service are at the heart of our Christmas celebrations. I was very struck recently by an Advent image shared by Kelly Lattimore, a woman who writes and paints icons. I say writes and paints because the icons are not traditional, but rather taking modern scenes and applying them or or reflecting on them in the light of our faith. So a beautiful new Advent that Kelly created this Advent time was Dorothy Day and the Holy Family of the Streets. And in the image we see Dorothy Day, the well-known American activist, saint, a Christian who gave her life for those who were living in poverty and was a very strong anti-war advocate. We see Dorothy standing by a door almost like an indoor. Standing beside her is a family, father, mother, child. She's inviting them in. There is room at the inn. Kelly said, what we would like to do is change the world, to make it a little simpler for people, to feed, to clothe and to shelter them as God intended them to do. And by fighting for better conditions, by crying out unceasingly for the rights of workers, the poor, the destitute, the rights of the worthy and the unworthy poor, in other words. We can, to a certain extent, change the world. We can work for the oasis, the little cell of joy and peace in a harried world. We can throw our pebble in the pond and be confident that its ever widening circle will reach around the world. We repeat, there is nothing we can do but love. And dear God, please enlarge our hearts to love each other, to love our neighbour and to love our enemy as our friend. Dorothy Day says, we repeat, there is nothing we can do but love. And dear God, please enlarge our hearts to love each other, to love our neighbour and to love our enemy as our friend. So at this time of plenty, Let us remember the poor, the sick, the dying, the grieving, the unemployed, those unable to pay their rent this week, the homeless, those persecuted simply because of race, gender, orientation, creed and nationality, the lonely, the unjustly imprisoned, the refugee, the immigrant. For we know now at Christmas that to dismiss the image of God in anyone is a complete denial of the Incarnation to dismiss the image of God in anyone is to deny the incarnation and Christmas. 
So we do not say that we know the answer to all things. We know the path that must be perfectly taken. But rather, Advent has invited us to choose well and wisely and to walk with God. And as we place one step in front of the other at this Christmas time, as we move out into new times, as we move from times that have been challenging, all we know is that each step we take is lit by God. And each time we choose to love, we are recognising the image of God in those we meet. This is our duty as Christians. This is our joy at Christmas. Alleluia, alleluia. And so with that sense of stepping out in faith this Christmas, we listen to a piece of music by Corrine Palworth, the Scottish singer-songwriter. It's a secular piece, but one that has stayed in my heart this Advent and one that I intend to keep close to me as I move through the Christians, Christmas season. The path that lies before us is not for us to know. One step and then another is all we need to know. Don't worry, don't hurry. Prepare the earth. Prepare the earth, the seed to sow. The path that winds before us is not for us to know. One step and then another is the only place we have to go. The path that winds before us is not for us to see. One breath and then another is all we need. Oh, 
One step and then another Is the only place we have to go The path that winds before us Is not for us to see One breath and then another Is all we need So again our thanks to all the guests who joined us both yesterday and today uh, for taking time out and sharing those reflections with us and just a quick reminder they are up on our podcast individually uh, just in case people want to hear them back again so at this part of our podcast, we will continue with reading and reflecting on the Sunday Gospel, as usual. And prior to that, Shane always prays this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. <clears throat> May we approach this word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this, Father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shan. That's a beautiful prayer that we pray each time before we read and reflect on the word of God. So the Gospel for today is for the Feast of the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary and Joseph and it's taken again from Luke chapter 2 verse 41 to 52. Every year the parents of Jesus used to go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old they went up for the feast as usual. When they were on their way home after the feast the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem without his parents knowing it. They assumed he was with the caravan. And it was only after a day's journey that they went back to look for him among the relations and acquaintances. When they failed to find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him everywhere. Three days later, they found him in the temple, sitting among the doctors, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his intelligence and his replies. They were overcome when they saw him. And his mother said to him, My child, why have you done this to us? See how worried your father and I have been looking for you. Why were you looking for me, he replied. Did you not know that I must be busy with my father's affairs? But they did not understand what he meant. He then went home with them and came to Nazareth and lived under their authority. His, his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus incre- increased in wisdom, in stature and in favour with God and men. So that's the Gospel for today, uh, the Feast of the Holy Family. Shane, you might be able to share a thought or two, please, with us. <clears throat> so, um, yeah, we've, we, we kind of jumped around in time a small bit with this week's Gospel from Luke. Um, so yesterday we were at the Nativity and today the, boy child, the child Jesus is 12. <laughs> so we have, we have jumped around slightly, <clears throat> but uh, it's just the way that the, the, the liturgical cycle has fallen this year. 
The gospel account that we have in front of us today, the account of this finding of the child Jesus in the temple, um, it's only in Luke. It's only in Luke. And it is the only canonical gospel account we have of what are called the hidden years, which the Jerome commentary refers to as the hidden years. That is between the nativity and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry with his baptism in the Jordan. And I suppose it's a reminder to us that, you know, the Son of God came into the world and then for 30 years he lived amongst, he lived in his family. He lived amongst his relations, his mother, his foster father, stepfather, father, father Joseph, um, the extended family that would have been there because, you know, they were a large Jewish family. Um, you know, and it's it's a reminder to us, <clears throat> I suppose it, it brings home the humanity of Christ that we celebrate at this time of the year and we acknowledge at this time of the year. Because it's um, it's, imp- it's something I suppose that's something that we can forget or overlook, particularly particularly in an Irish context. We've kind of a tendency to very much you know God is God and up on the cloud kind of an approach. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that God, that Jesus was also human, and He's both human and divine. But in terms of the gospel account itself, I suppose there's a couple of things that strike me. The, the main thing that jumps out is that piece, that line. Mary thought about all these things and pondered them in her heart, which very much echoes the gospel we heard on Christmas Day after the visitation from the shepherds. And I suppose it's an important reminder to us that Mary is the ultimate disciple, model of discipleship, where she takes and works with, uh, or she listens to what God has to say and pauses and reflects on it. And that's something I suppose that we're all encouraged to do at times and question for us is how often we make the time to be able to do that for ourselves. Um, I suppose the, the other thing, of course, is the main thing, of course, with this particular celebration is it is marking and and the, the holy family of Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Now, family, I suppose, particularly in the modern world, has become a very loaded term, um, I, you know, I think is the fairest way to say it. Um, so, but <clears throat> what's held up, I suppose, is 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 in this regard is the Holy Family is a model family, a reminder to us that humanity, the building blocks of society, the building blocks of the church is the family. It's not the individual, despite Margaret Thatcher's claim to the contrary. And that, you know, um, and it goes back to the very basics. I suppose there's a great, that great African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. You know, you must, you families are important from that point of view. And and the importance of 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 uh, just I suppose for us realizing God literally entering into humanity and putting on skin and living among us as a full human person in a family context, you know. <clears throat> and if you think about it, he was born into a homeless family in an animal shelter in a remote part of the of the the Roman Empire, and he then went on to become a refugee. You know, it's not exactly your normal sanitized version of the Holy Family. You know, if you think about it, Mary was, um, she was young. Now, I wouldn't necessarily, we don't know how young, but she she was young, uh, unmarried, technically, uh, could have been stoned to death. So, you know, there's nothing sanitary and holy in that sense, if you think about it, in terms of the messiness of life. 
And it's it's something that we should remind ourselves about because sometimes we have this sanitized view of the Holy Family, particularly if it's, you know, in an Irish context, if it's an old, those old pictures on the wall where Joseph is standing behind the Mary and Jesus and, you know, the, the halos are everywhere and it looks very clean and proper. There was nothing clean and proper about the Bethlehem and, and giving birth in a stable and then having to get up on the back of a donkey and flee to Egypt with your newborn child. You know, so just that reminder to us. Yet he is someone who transformed history and who continues to transform our lives today. And the reminder that into the into the struggles of our world, God is born. Um, you know, and we are, you know, we're, we're called to make room for him in our hearts each year. And that's, I suppose, one of the, the reminders that's put before us uh, for for this particular particular feast. Um I suppose the other side of it is just to think about it is Jesus was 12. So I think any parent who has got teenagers, adolescents, whatever the term is that you're supposed to use describing people between the age of 12 and 21. Anyway, um, probably could sympathize hugely with what Mary and Joseph went through. So they had gone up in, uh, they'd obviously, they were an obviously observant Jewish family. They had gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. They had gone up with family and friends, presumably from Nazareth. And Jesus went missing and they hadn't realized until they were a day out from from Jerusalem, because obviously big caravan, you know, you'd assume he was with the crowd. Why would you worry? He was 12. He's not a toddler. Can you imagine the consternation and the panic when they met up and suddenly realized he wasn't with the relations? Can you imagine the row that broke out? I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. You know, there were parents at the end of the day. Of course, they were going to have a heated discussion. And then the panic getting back up to Jerusalem and going around trying to find him and searching for three days before they did. And it's interesting, I hadn't quite realised, but the, uh, the, the, um, the desert, the, 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 the desert mothers and fathers, so that had been the monks of the early 4th and 5th century, had, had reflected quite a bit on those three days and seen it as almost um, a precursor to the three days of Good Friday, okay. Holy Saturday mm, and mm. Easter Sunday. Um, you know, and the pain that Mary would suffer uh, because of those events as well and the trauma that she would suffer, obviously, because the child, was Jesus, was missing. Um, I suppose then, of course, they found him and that very enigmatic response, why were you worried I was about my father's business? And I suppose if anything would cut you to the quick is, that I suppose, just the realisation that ultimately for all parents, they have to stand back and let their child go make their own paths and decisions in life. Mm-hmm. Not always necessarily the easiest thing to do. Nope. Uh, you know, but this was the beginning of the process here because um, under Jewish law, at the age of 12 and 13, Jesus was regarded as an adult. Uh, so it's that beginning of that process, you know, if, if, if you like. But also, I suppose it's also the realisation for Jesus that, um, you know, he had... There was going to be uh, a task that he had to perform um, in terms of the the work that had to be done for his father in heaven. Um, it's called God the Father. So that's something that we you know that needs to be there as well. But as we look on it in terms of the reflection on family, um, I suppose we're told that you know Jesus increased in wisdom, so we must assume he continued to ask questions, and that he went down back down to to Nazareth and lived under them. So he you know he went back home and was with them for the next number of years. And I suppose we should give thanks for the gift of families, um, while at the same time obviously acknowledging that family relationships can be difficult and complex. And I suppose 
you know, Christmas can bring that very much to the fore because sometimes we have this Victorian ideal of everyone sitting around the table like, you know, Bob Critchers yeah. and Cratchit and, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Christmas Carol and it's, you know, everyone saying, God bless us, everyone. We all know that isn't quite how it happens. Nope. Um, you know, let's just be realistic. We're all human at the end of the day and nobody should expect it. But at the same time, for those particular situations which are very complex, difficult you know, particularly where there's estrangement or maybe this is the first Christmas where perhaps families are separated due to marital dif- marital difficulties or things like that. Bring us to the crib and bring your prayer and your, 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 your difficulty to the crib this year and bring it to the Holy Family and ask for their prayers and their intercession to help to be able to carry that difficulty through this Christmas period. Um, I don't I don't I think it's fair to say no one prays for a resolution of the difficulty. At the end of the day, we have to do that ourselves. But what we can ask for is the grace to be able to carry that difficulty Mm. where that is um, that difficulty is on our shoulders. The other thing I suppose for us to remember is that um, being able to pray and, you know, as Mary did to ponder all these things in her heart and for us to be open to listening and reflecting to what God is calling us to. You know, Christmas and New Year for a lot of people is a time of reflection. It's a time of transition as we move into the New Year. People set up their New Year's resolutions. Uh, I'm not a resolutions man myself, but a lot of people Mm do. And it's time, you know, we've had a difficult and complicated 18, 20 months, let's be honest. And it's not the easiest of times. And trying to find joy in the midst of it all is going, is difficult. Um, you know, particularly when you're listening to the stories coming about Omicron and, and everything that's happening and yeah. all the difficulties that that brings. It's not the easiest time in the world. And trying to find joy in the midst of it all, I suppose, is is the key. Trying to find that little bit of something. And, you know, while I was kind of slightly knocking the sanitized version of the Holy Family that we might be used to, but there is a there is a reason for the art. There is a reason for the way it's presented. It's to give us hope and to give us something to remind us that there is the true, the good and the beautiful in the world and that we can strive for that. Mightn't always get there, but that's what we're called to do. So as we enter into the octave of Christmas and we celebrate the the feast of the Holy Family, I suppose we pray for families everywhere. And that in all the complexities that life brings for families, may we be open to discovering God's peace for each one. Shane, thank you very much, Nate, for that. Just, just a quick little maybe comment, um, just quote uh, after that reflection. I certainly heard that uh, when you mentioned about uh, that we tend to sanitise Christmas. And I heard it a few times, actually, over the Christmas from, from various people offering reflections. And I was just reminded there... Uh, what Sister Katrina shared with us this morning, and she says she says that she says with us how throughout the Christmas story we can be struck by the hiddenness of the mystery, and there's all these mysteries that we hear that, that we hear about, uh, you know, the mystery of the Holy Family coming up to Bethlehem in the first place, uh, Mary riding riding on a donkey, and, and she's expecting a child. And Sister Katrina says, if we're not attentive, we can almost miss the significance of this at Christmas. And the other little comment that I had there recently was by Dr. Jessie Rogers, and she used the phrase, the gift of silence. 
And maybe that's that's another thing that we need maybe to pray for, that gift of silence, to be able to listen and reflect, read again, and just let the Holy Spirit speak to us through the scriptures that are presented to us. And Sister Katrina finishes off by saying that maybe this Christmas we can pray for the grace of not being too busy or preoccupied to see by faith the hiddenness of the mystery and that we may discover anew the presence of God in our lives. So again, that brings us to the end of our podcast uh, today. We again thank those guests who joined us over the last few weeks to offer their reflections. And Shane, thanks again for that reflection and the gospel uh, passage today for the Feast of the Holy Family. So to go out, we, we have our final piece of music for this particular podcast. Shane, you've got a nice piece of music lined up for us again. Yeah, so this is, um, <clears throat> sorry, this is a piece from the Piano Guys. Um, it's a beautiful, uh, uplifting piece, and it is uh, a version of the Gloria in Excelsis Deo, but it's done with a very large choir, and I think it's absolutely beautiful piece. It's a lovely one to go out for, for this podcast. So again, for myself and Shane, enjoy the rest of the week, and we'll speak to you again next week. In the meantime, God bless now. Bye. Story now proclaim Messiah's birth.